Welcome to another episode of Thoughts of a Techno Wizard. Uh, it is August 21st, 8.36 a.m. Sunday, 2022. And uh, <laughs> you might have noticed that in the last episode, ended quite suddenly without an actual ending. So very sorry about that. What had happened was, I thought I had a meeting, um, but I realized my meeting was an hour later because I don't have to be in the earlier meeting. And I went to check that, and I did, and I was like, oh, wow, I'm, I'm good, right? Have another hour. So I did a nearly hour-long podcast, or basically another, not, you know, a continuation, right? Talking about the, the these ideas I had. <laughs> um, and I was recording, it was recorded, but I went right up to the last minute I didn't realize. I checked it, and I was like, "Oh snap! It's it's ten o'clock. You know, I gotta run to this meeting." And so I didn't hit. You know, um, I didn't. I finished. I like finished it, but I didn't hit save because I was gonna do that after the meeting. But one meeting turned into another one, and I just kind of lost track. And by the time I went back to my phone, I completely forgot that I didn't <laughs> freaking save the thing. Um, so it wasn't until like the next day or whatever. That I saved my phone, and I think my phone had restarted over the night, like you know, did a little update overnight, and so all of that was 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 gone. <sighs> so yeah, you missed it. I ain't gonna say it. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> no, I'm definitely gonna. I have. I don't even remember everything I talked about, so probably it's just gonna be a new new episode, basically. Um, but nonetheless, I did indeed have ideas for um, how we might be able to do business and be entrepreneurs, you know, without capitalism. And once again, to quickly recap, let's try to do this quickly, because <laughs> I do think this is important, just in case people are listening to this, you know, way down the line without watching any of my other stuff or listening to my any of my other stuff. We cannot depend on capitalism um, to, you know, enable countries and continents and everything like that that's not that's not you know that's not prosperous right now right even though capitalism seems to be <laughs> responsible for some of the quote unquote prosperity you know that we experience here in America and much of the west my entire thesis uh, my ideas here and which is not even it's, it's pretty evident when you look at the data is that this prosperity has been largely subsidized if not completely um, you know enabled through the exploitation the complete destruction of other people's environments and even a lot of ourselves right capitalism only quote unquote works when you can exploit the shit <laughs> excuse my language there but exploit the shit out of other people and environments and systems and by exploit i don't mean use uh to its effectiveness right whatever because people like to spin that and say oh exploit every you're exploiting everything right no what i mean by that is essentially raping a system excuse my word i'm sorry but <laughs> that's what it is Right? You're going in, you're taking resources, right? 
and resources could include people it has included people in the past right you're taking resources from one place and you're taking it by force <laughs> right and then you're putting it in another place I guess you can also call it stealing if you want to call it that but I'm sure they'll be oh no it's not stealing because we, we offer this in return right we offer um, our own wealth in return right we buy it from them <laughs> but just look at those blood mines and you know the the sweatshops and you know things like that and tell me that's <laughs> a fair trade but anyways capitalism requires this in order for it to function the entire foundation of America was built on slavery it wouldn't be impossible without slavery almost pretty much every empire in history required some sort of slavery or slave labor slave labor meaning you know maybe they use prisoners or whatever um, to do much of the work or maybe they use peasants you know to do much of the work right every single empire in history okay and capitalism is just one such empire those who use capitalist you know systems so yeah capitalism requires this gross exploitation this rape of the environment of other people this theft this complete destruction right of all these resources and so for us to say that in order for you know um africa or other places in east asia or in south america to be prosperous is for them to also do capitalism where are you going to do it at? Like, how are you going to do it? <laughs> Capitalism is not just making businesses. People have been making businesses since the dawn of, of humans, right? <laughs> since the first person was like, oh, let, you see that rock? Let's, you know, <laughs> you know, make a tool out of it and then, you know, give it to somebody else. Right? People have been making businesses, solving problems, being entrepreneurs, right? For a long, long time. But only relatively recently have we utilized some sort of hierarchical you know, um, society in order to extract resources from somewhere, from one place in order to put them in a centralized location, right? Only recently. And I'm going along when I said, <laughs> goodness, but this is my, <laughs> what happens when I recap stuff. Um, but yeah, it is important to recognize all these things, right? The prosper, prosperity in much of the West, pretty much all of the West probably, would be impossible without all these gross gross crimes really and just because we are the quote unquote victors today doesn't mean we always will be in fact history shows that we almost we most certainly will not continue this this path of quote unquote victory this respect if you want to call it because every empire dies <laughs> Right. So, I do not think that Africa needs capitalism in order for it to become, you know, prosperous or for, for it to become um, what it can be. I think if a lot of these African countries go full, you know, pelt into capitalism, not only will they have a harder time than the West because there's just less land less less you know untapped resources out there anymore not only will they have a harder time but it won't be as effective because of that right there's just not much or you're going to require some more warfare right 
you're going to require for you to go into you know the Middle East or um, um, East Asia or you know even you know much of the West <laughs> to take their resources in order for you to do this because one thing I mentioned a couple episodes back is that the whole reason why agriculture right marked such a prevalent time in human history for good and for ill is that it requires you to take twice from the environment at least twice right i mentioned in that episode that when you perform agriculture at a mass scale what you're doing is not you no know, planning for the future or yeah yes you're planning for the future but only in a myopic way right hunter gatherers plan for the future they just plan to be adaptive <laughs> right they knew that in any, whatever whatever environment they were in, whatever thing was going on in, with the environment, they would be able to adapt. Whether it be moving, whether it be eating something else, whether it be even, you know, a, a short, you know, short term, a short type of agriculture. Just growing something real quick and then, you know, leaving it. But mass scale agriculture, especially with things like cereals, right, grains and all that stuff requires you to stay in an area and farm and and take those resources essentially right but then to double down and take even more resources then that area can then that environment can replenish during the time of your stay during that year for instance if it takes longer for than a year (laughs) then it uh for for the environment to replenish but you're sitting there farming for a year then when does the environment have a chance to replenish it's just simple biology, simple math. Like, you're going to have to expand in order for you to get more. So as you grow your population, right, those cities that we love so much, it also requires you to expand beyond <laughs> the local environment. This is why trade, uh, specifically, you know, um, military trade or military enforced trade, I should say, Right, colonization was so important because it was necessary for these cities to survive. You had to take all the resources that was there and then take all the resources that was further afield just for you to, you know, continue continuously feed your growing population. It's just, it's just simple freaking like whatever you want to call it, man. So yeah. Capitalism is much the same. But what makes it worse is that it makes you think that you deserve this, right? Because you've invented, maybe you created something cool, something useful. And then now, and now you say, oh, I deserve to have this plot of land. <laughs> or this amount of resources. You're no longer thinking about, you know, how, how, how does these resources, you know, help the people around me? You're just thinking about, oh, I deserve to have this, you know. So it, it requires you to become more selfish. You say, oh, I'm, I'm solving problems with this. But it requires you to now, th- to now believe that you are solving the problem better than anybody else. Even though you might not be. We like to say, oh, no, that's why you're, you're, you have to hire other people and do all this other stuff. But we know that human bias does not allow you to be perfectly, you know, um, unbiased. It doesn't allow you to be perfectly, you know, kind of sane about this. 
If you really think you want to solve the best problem, if you see somebody else solving the problem better, yeah, some people will compete in a in a healthy way, but many people will not. Many people will be like, oh, you know what? It'll be easier to, you know, just <laughs> sabotage them or to capitalize on more resources so they can't get those resources and they can't apply their solution. Even though their solution might be better, if you can, you know, cut them off at the head, if you can buy more land, buy more resources and cut them out of the market totally, then it doesn't matter. And this is this is the adequate business practices. This is real life business business practices, right? If you are if you can't innovate faster than your competitor, if you can't, you know, be more efficient or whatever, then just buy more. Acquire more. This is how all the big companies become big companies. Alright? They're not they're not the most innovative. They're not solving the problem better than everybody else. They're just buying up all the resources. They can use their past, you know, successes to skate them, you know, quite far, regardless of how effective they actually are today. So anyways, in order for us to build a better world, we have to take what's good from here, right? We like innovation, yeah. We like, you know, entrepreneurship. We like solving problems. We like building teams, right? We like being able to, you know, manage, you know, our, our growth. We like being able to predict, you know, our growth and scale and all this. So let's take these things. Let's, let's pick out what's good. And throw away the bad stuff. So my proposition, you know, for how to utilize this sort of um, entrepreneurial spirit and entrepreneurial, you know, mindset is to focus on the good stuff and to not be so closed minded as to think that we can only, you know, utilize these things under a capitalist regime. Instead, we can say, okay. Here, what's our goal, right? First of all, that's always important. So to set your goal. Our goal is most likely going to be, you know, wellness. How to make sure that the people living around you, your community, right, your family, so on and so forth. How can, how can you make sure these people are living healthy lives? I mean, they have all the, the food that they need. Um, mentally healthy, right? They have support psychologically. You have all the psychological needs. They have water and all this other stuff. They have um, uh, protection from, you know, disease and things like that. Safety from um, malcontents. So all these things, right? These are probably what you want. This this wellness. But even above and beyond that, right? They need to be able to... Um, live fulfilling lives and that's just as important as wellness that's, it's not some you know the hierarchies uh, or Maslow's hierarchy of needs it's not an actual hierarchy it's integrated it's all in the same thing some people need you know the fulfillment more first some people need the basic needs first but either way once we do these things uh, once we recognize these things then we can focus on what's good So we can say, okay, people need, you know, this fulfillment, they need these basic needs, they need all these other things. So what does it look like? Right? 
that's when we begin to imagine what a better society looks like. You know, we don't have to be too specific. We just say, oh, it looks like, you know, being able to, you know, get water whenever you want, being able to, you know, uh, go wherever you want, being able to do whatever you want to do. Right? Being, feeling empowered, feeling enabled to do uh, whatever you want to do, to chase your dreams, to be the best you can be. Right? And having the resources uh, to help you do that. So if we set that as our goal, right? That already is hugely important because guess what? For many countries, this is not the goal. For um, here in America, this is not the goal. Right? People claim, oh, you have uh, the pursuit of happiness, right? Our constitution says this, that, and the other. Even in our constitution, what does it mean for the pursuit of happiness? <laughs> right? That doesn't mean that. Uh, we actually care if people are living a good life. We care if they think they're pursuing a good life. Right? This is why things have to be updated. Because now we realize that happiness isn't what isn't all this cracked up to be. Right? <laughs> happiness is not the same thing as fulfillment. Happiness is just a, 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 a temporary mood. Right? A feeling, an emotion that you feel at different times in your life. When you're, even if you're living your fulfilling life, like, I really enjoy my job. I feel like there's no better job. Well, there probably is, like, one I create myself. But <laughs> I feel every day, I feel so, uh, so much gratitude for the job I have. And I enjoy it so much. I don't always feel happy doing it. There's, like, many times where I feel frustrated because I'm doing this or, or, you know, all these, you know, different things is impacting. But that's natural, right? Overall, yeah, I'm, I'm quote, I guess, happy. But we know that today, happiness is not, you know, what we should be chasing. <laughs> right? That's when you get into the he- he- hedonism, right? The hedonic treadmill where you're just, you know, trying to get that, that uh, um, payoff, right? That dopamine hit. And if, <laughs> it's no wonder that America is the way it is because if we really think pursuit of happiness is, you know, the foundational thing. Then yeah, our our, <laughs> our life achieves that, right? Twitter, social media is the pursuit of happiness, because every time you you scroll, it, you get that dopamine hit. You know, <laughs> this is why it's so effective. So my point here is that we have to set the right goal. If you don't even set the right goal, you're not you're not going to be going in the right direction. It's obvious, right? So set that right goal. Have an idea of what that might look like. Again, doesn't have to be specific. Be very general. But allows you to think, okay, what are people able to do in this life? Once you set that, then you can consider, then you can think about, okay, how do we get there? Right? And these are things that almost pretty much any coach, any, you know, <laughs> uh, um, any valid, <laughs> I don't want to say... You know, any valid motivational person or like, what do you call them? Inspirational speaker, you know. Um, uh, this is a specific, you know what I'm talking about. Like, <laughs> any person that actually tells you like how to be productive, how to be, you know, whatever with your life. They will tell you these things, right? This is why I learned a lot of this from. You set that goal, you figure out, okay, how do you get there? Then you set, you know, the smart goals. 
what are what are the specific measurable attainable relative you know um, timely things you can do to get there right and it was this great um, podcast I was listening to the other day that adds to this right we said uh, one of the very important steps as well is to figure out your bad habits and I'd like to include that here as a society as a group of people as a culture whatever figure out the bad habits of your group right because if you do set that goal and if you do have an idea of of what to do to get there even if you introduce good things as they mentioned in this podcast uh, I think it's called um, Achieving Your Greatness podcast by Hal Hal Elrod it mentioned that even if you um, introduce the good things those bad things are still going to be holding you back. And in fact, you might not be making much progress at all because your bad habits are offsetting your good ones. So, identify your bad habits as a people. You know? Maybe we fight too much doing, you know, when discussing certain problems or whatever, right? Maybe we don't listen to our youth. <laughs> all right? Maybe there's not enough, you know, freedom for different types of people, right? LGBTQ people. Or even women in some environments, right? And of course, unfortunately, a lot of places aren't going to be self-aware enough to identify all these bad habits. But just trying, right? If you are, as a community, even able to think about these things and talk about these things, oh, oh, how can we improve our people? How can we, you know, improve our community and do all these other things? Then... You have some level of self-awareness. This is already self-selecting. Right? I'm not talking about all those communities in which aren't self-aware, in which don't really care about everybody else, and just only wants to, you know, um, enable uh, the most dominant people to win. I'm not talking about those communities, right? Because you can't help them. <laughs> that's that's another thing you have to realize is that you can't force help on other people. If people think they're doing right and even though they're doing terribly wrong, you can't force help. You just have to focus on yourself and the people that you can help. You build a community with those people first. And then, later on, once you you know have this success going on, then they will see. They will like, oh, wow. Or, even, or the people around them, right, who don't like that life will see. And they're like, oh, okay, that's where I can go. Because that's another huge problem today. Is people don't know the alternatives. Many people can identify the problems of capitalism and all this other stuff, but they think the alternative is just chaos or you know um, China or something like. Like no, <laughs> there's more alternatives. So, yeah, identify your bad habits as a self-aware people, and yeah, you might not identify all of them, but you can identify probably the most. And how do you do so? Point out, okay, what's stopping me? What's your barriers? What's stopping me from living this this life? What's stopping us as a community from living this life that we set as our goal? Right? List those out. And that will provide a much better idea of how to move forward. Now we can get into, you know, the fun stuff. Fun stuff. I just... That was weird. (laughs) 
I just like stuttered myself. Um, but anyways, <laughs> we get we could get into the super fun stuff here. You have your goal. You have an idea of what it looks like. You have an idea of how to get there. You have an idea of what's stopping you. Well, before I get into that fun, super fun stuff, let, let me just go ahead and copy all of Hell Elrod's Hel, stuff. Because this podcast is talking about how to be consistent. But it's actually really good in terms of, you know, any goal-seeking, you know, things. Because in order to achieve any goal, you have to be consistent anyways. And he mentions, yeah, after you do that, you, you identify your bad goals. Then you are your bad habits. Then you set up your good habits, right? And then after you set up your good habits, you... Um, have an accountability system. And then he lists different accountability systems. I think there's probably more, but I haven't finished the podcast. <laughs> Go check it out. But again, these are consistent. Like, I've heard these before. It's just good to hear them again um, in a consolidated way. Um, and for this case, accountability, I wanted to talk about that because that is another important part. Like, how do we measure success? Because this is the part where sometimes, or a lot, almost all the time, we mess up as well. It's because we say, oh, it's because this is what money was supposed to be. Well, not really. Money was to measure, you know, um, some sort of resource allocation. But a lot of it was for the purpose of centralization of power. Right. That's a a lot of another thing people don't understand. They think, oh, you know, just everyday people came up with money so they can trade between other. No, people were already trading. Like your everyday person was already trading. It was specifically the ruling powers. All right. The ruling class. That said, oh, we can't control how people are trading or what people are trading. So let's create a monetary system where you have to use this, the coin with my face on it in order to trade. That way I know who is trading, relatively what they're trading, and I can get a cut. (laughs) Right? This is why the monetary system was even invented in the first place. But anyways, we need a measurement system, right, to be accountable for are we achieving these goals are we getting closer so um hal mentioned several different things like you know first your own integrity but he mentions that unfortunately you know integrity is just it's really hard to depend on just that even as a person who who feels very confident about yourself the fact is that we're we're a social creature right we need other people as well all the best he mentions all the best you know athletes in the world all the best people in the world Right, who are the best as in terms of their achievement, right? In a in a in a skill set, in a uh, like a sport or something, or even a job, right? All these people have coaches, so those coaches act as your accountability, and I think we need that as well. We need to figure out, okay, who's going to hold us accountable for this? And remember, if our goal is to have wellness and have all these other things, right? Where people feel fulfilled, people feel safe, people feel, you know, um, able to um, excel and all this other stuff. Then you have to realize that the accountability, the coaches, will not be the, the Western countries that are like, oh, yes, this is how you become rich. No, because our goal is not to become rich. Our goal is not to, you know, have a whole bunch of money. Because, again, money is kind of empty. It's not really going to help people. Not all people, at least. So the question is, who can hold you accountable? And the answer is going to be, depending on your goal, those people who know or who have lived um, that goal. So, for instance, mental health. 
You speak to, you know, psychologists who know what good mental health looks like. You know, sociologists. You can say, okay, and you look at our people. And every year or every, you know, couple months or every couple years, you know, let us know, are people feeling better? Right? Are they getting that wellness? And you can separate it. You can say, okay, that's going to be for, you know, our mental health side. Now for our, you know, um, um, safety side or, 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 you know, nutrition side. Like, get some nutritionists. Get some dietary folks. Like, are we achieving these goals? Like, are people nutritious? Because even in America... Right? A lot of people aren't nutritious. A lot of people are eating the wrong things. Right? We have all this food, all this stuff, but a lot of it is poisonous to us. Right? One of the major causes of death in America is freaking heart disease. <laughs> Not because we're, you know, um, incapable of finding good food, but because we don't have that accountability to say, to help everybody to, to look at, you know, what they're eating and to point out, okay, this is good stuff, this is bad stuff. We don't have ready, many people don't have ready access to health care. So they, they can't afford a, a dietary person. But if you as a society are building a, a, a society where people can, you know, live without money. Then yeah, you can bring these people in. And I'll touch on that in a moment as well. Living without money. Um... Because that, that's, well, actually we can call it another accountability system. How do you live a stable life, right? How do you live a life where you can get your food, you can get your, you know, housing, get all this stuff? Well, talk to these hunter-gatherer cultures. They were able to achieve that for thousands of years, once again. The ones that are still alive, that hasn't been, you know, murdered, <laughs> genocided against by these uh, empire builders. These people can hold you accountable to how to be, how to, uh, how to use a sustainable living, right? How to go into your environment and extract resources while also putting some back. While making it so that you're not extracting too much. So that your environment can replenish, you know, every year or every couple of years. You have to have somebody to keep you accountable for that. So my point here, as you can probably see, is that in order for us to be accountable for our success, for living a real prosperous life, we have to find people who are, who know what good looks like in each of those categories, in each of those areas. We can't just, you know, say, oh, money is, is going to be, is going to be the, the measure. <laughs> it's going to hold us accountable. If we're making a lot of money, then we're successful. I'm like, no. Because money doesn't tell you if you're, you know, being sustainable with your life, with your environment. Money doesn't tell you if your people are mentally sound. Money doesn't tell you if, you know, you're eating the right things. So that's why you need to have a better accountability system. So, yes. By this point, we should actually have a, clear, a clearer idea, a pretty good idea of what it looks like. To live in a society, to build businesses, to be entrepreneurs, and all this other stuff without money. But to further spell it out, that means living in, a, in an area, right, where, or building a community, like I've basically been talking about for the last five episodes or so, 
where your re, where your needs can be met directly by living in that community. What do I mean by that? That means in order for you to get the food that you want, you can either grow the food, you know, um, hunt the food essentially, or, or rather gather the food, I should say that, forage for the food, right? Because that's the difference between hunter-gather, like hunter-gather cultures, most of them were foraging cultures. Hunting was only a small part of their diet. The bulk of their diet was found from foraging. So yeah, let's try to build an environment where we can forage for the food. But I'm going to be honest, I'm going to be honest, that is hard. Because today we've destroyed so much of our forest, so much of our environment, that I'm not sure if many areas can forage anymore because we simply don't have enough to forage and that's what's really scary so I would say perhaps think about especially in the short term right how to use um, advanced agriculture practices right so aquaponics vertical farming urban farming um, food forests, rewilding. So all that means is yes, it is primarily agriculture based, but it is leaning towards getting to a permaculture, right, um, environment where you can go from just growing, you know, all your food and like growing like cash crops and fast things and stuff like that, to developing an ecosystem where the food grows itself. Right, I think that's essentially what a permaculture is, like a food forest. So yeah, you're gonna have to start with, you know, a lot of farming and things like that, and probably even importing food, to an extent. But again, your goal is to be self-sufficient. Is to have a, is most likely going to be, you know, something along the lines of self-sufficiency, right? To have an ecosystem where you can get everything you need from the place around you. So that means, yes, at first you're probably going to have to be importing food like you do now, growing food. But a lot of these places that are impoverished already depend on that stuff anyway. So it's not like <laughs> you're doing anything new there. But now you're doing it with a direction. Say, oh, we're going in this direction. And so you can begin to, okay, um, what can we grow in our area? Look at the, you know, spaces around you. Grow things around um, your 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 house, your your community, even if you don't live in the house, right? That might be the first thing you have to accomplish. Is how do we build um, living environments, right? Maybe you have to start very small, right? Build like a <laughs> a little hut or something. I wish I could do that here in America. It can't even, it's illegal. Right? You have to own the land. You have to own, <laughs> you have to be able to buy property just for you to build anything on it. Unless you want to squat. But that is another option too. Right? Think about all the abandoned properties in your community. Can you squat? And squat, you know, is basically just living in a, an abandoned or blighted property. And, but better yet, not just squat, but upgrade squat. So when you live in an abandoned property, maybe somebody else owns it, 
but they don't upkeep it. And so it's a, it becomes a blight in your neighborhood. People just tr dump trash there or it's ne nothing is ever built there or, um, you know, there's stuff that's built there, but it's just, you know, abandoned. Like it's no, it's, nobody's upkeeping it. So squat there. In some places, you have what's called, um, I'm not sure in other, content, other countries, but in many places in America, you have like these tenant, different types of tenant rights. Now, it's hard here in Georgia, but in other states, you can, you know, squat in a place, and if you squat there for a period of time, nobody catches you, <laughs> basically, um, then you begin, become a tenant at will, right? So you have some, some level of rights, so you, you can't be evicted un unless, you know, they find out what your real name is, and have to send you a letter, and all this other stuff, right? But there's been many, many movements here in America who have people have squatted and um, band together as a community. There's one I, I wanted to read up on. Um, I forgot exactly what it's called, but like some mothers did this, right? Where this mother, this mom was being evicted. She had small children or something like that, and she was like, "No, nah, I'm staying here. Like I can't, I can't find anywhere else and have these small children to take care of." So she stayed there, and then her friends. Were also mothers came and, and stayed there with her as well. And when the cops came, they can't really do anything. It's a bunch of you know, women and children. Like, what are you gonna do? Like, <laughs> night violence. That would have been very bad look. So they were able to stay there for a period of time and ended up building an entire community. So I think this is something that can work in many other places. In fact, it has. Like, that's just one example. The example I knew about for upgrade squatting happened in New York, where people took an abandoned building and started planting things in there, right? Building up an entire uh, vertical farm and all this other stuff, made it look pretty, and it raised the property value of the, of the space because there's no longer an abandoned property there, just looking ugly. <laughs> Instead, it looked like this cool, you know, place to be. And so the other people, when um, really liked them being there, even though they weren't legally, you know. Uh, owners of the place and so the uh the i think it was like some private owner whatever tried to evict them but the entire community not just people living there the people around them banned against them because it was like no we, they they made this place better right you who own this land didn't do anything with it who owned this building didn't do anything with it and in fact you you blighted our community but thanks to these people who were squatting right they made it better and so um, I think the city ended up, you know, buying the land and, and ceding that to the people who live there, and it was it's like a it's like a um, agreement. Like if they, so long as they, you know, keep the, up keep the place, they can stay there, essentially rent free. Right, and this is just in America, where we capitalism of the world, right? capitalist um, country of the world. But there's many bigger examples in other countries, right? In Mexico. In many of these other places in South America, in Spain, and um, quite another place. Go go read a book, Anarchy Works. <laughs> but he shows so many of these examples of people squatting in areas and building it up into a real community. And I think that's something that is replicable, has shown to to work, and is um, relatively I'm not going to say easy, but easier than starting from scratch. And it's something a lot of other people who don't even believe in this stuff can get with, 
right? Because they might say, oh, no, you don't own it. Why are you doing it? But then when they see that you're improving the space that has just been abandoned for because this is something everybody hates, just living next to it. Nobody wants to live next to an abandoned, you know, blighted property. So if you come in there and you upgrade it, then most people, right, will be on your side. So I think that's something that a lot of other, you know, places can 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 be, especially starting, you know, if you want to build this. What I'm talking about, take some abandoned land, whatever, and build it up into a community. And there can be your first example of what it would be like to live in a space where you don't have to buy everything in order to live, right? So in that space, right, you have your food coming in. And maybe at first, again, once again, you may not have, you may not be able to supply all of your food needs. But you can depend on other people who can, who are well, who are more well off and can provide those food. Maybe under, again, some sort of agreement. Say, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm improving this place. I'm upgrading this place. If you believe in what we're doing, you know, give us some food. A lot of people want to help anyways. And that is a material kind of very visible way of of helping of showing that help is going to a good place a lot of people don't trust these non-profits and all this bull crap where they say oh we're, we're going to help these people but then they you know <laughs> are not are just pocketing the money or not building anything useful so if you are yourself building something useful in your own community in your own place and you can show other people what that looks like where you're going towards and I think a lot of people would, would, would want to chip in. And so, yeah, you can depend on that at first. Until you get to a point where you no longer need it. And now you're the one giving out food to other places, right? So you can build, you can give back. You can build that cycle. But yeah, the important thing here is to build a place where you no longer, where most people who live, who live there do not have to pay every single day or week or month, whatever. They do not have to pay in order to get food in order to have a house in order to have even health care I think this is crucial for us today because today we think we're incapable of living without money even though for most of human history we live without money it's kind of ridiculous so we have to remember how to do that again how to live without money we show people that what that looks like. Show people that it doesn't look like extreme poverty, where you're just you know wallowing and you have nothing. You can't. You're gonna die next. You know by the age of 25 or some bullshit. Like no, that's not what that looks like. <laughs> so yeah, we have to build modern day examples of of living without money. And now when it comes to solving problems, right? Again, coming to the. Um, or oh, I'm not sure if I mentioned it. And the episode that I recorded, the episode that was lost, but mentioned like if you want to, you know, um, provide lipstick, because that's one of the um, um, their businesses for the, um, for, for Magat. Well, I was talking about in the last episode, right? If you want to provide lipstick, all right. Now you can provide that, but your costs are much much less because now you're not even you don't even have the cost of you know living. <laughs> Right, you don't have to cover your living expenses because you're already living in an environment where you no longer need to, you know, buy anything in order to have basic needs met. And so, as the prosperity, right, the real material wellness of that community grows, 
your cost of living goes further further down and the things that you get get for free right becomes more and more comprehensive it it becomes bigger than just comprehensive needs right because as that community grows maybe at first you were just doing food right and of course if you're living there then that is your living area but maybe you didn't have running water at first but then you know you were able to learn how to um, produce your own running water right or maybe that is the biggest, you know, problems. How do you get running water to this in the middle of a desert or something, right? Like that, right? So maybe you have to tap into some aquifers. Maybe you have to develop a whole new, you know, innovation, like innovate a whole new system there. But once you figure that out, right? You can then show people, oh, this is how you build this thing. You can say, oh, what about, you know, the, the, um, the reward for my innovation, right? What's a better reward than you living in an area where everybody around you is also enjoying life? Many of us think that money, not, and that's not even true. Here's the thing. This is what's really funny about innovation and capitalism, things like that. People claim that we don't do things for money. You hear this all the time. A lot of the start, oh, I don't do this for the money. You know, I do this because I care. I want to help the world. I want to do this and that and the other. But the minute we say, oh, then let's build a system where you don't need to, <laughs> you don't need to privatize on IP, right? You don't need to privatize on these, on these things. People say, oh, then how are you going to be rewarded for your, for your innovation? I, th- I thought you said you weren't doing it for the money. The only reason why you privatize things is to, you know, monopolize, is to centralize the, mo- <laughs> the money that you can get. That's the only reason. If instead you really wanted to help other people, then you would open source or you would, you don't have to open source, but you would give that idea out to other people who can do it as well. So you can live in a world where everybody can, you know, achieve this thing. And if you really, if you, you have to be real about what you want as a reward, right? Many people aren't real about what they want. Maybe you do want recognition. Right? So maybe we can chisel your name into the into the into stone to say, okay, on this day I invented this thing, and every every time you know somebody says, oh, I have it, oh, I, I use this thing now, you know, have you heard of it? Oh yeah, actually I invented this thing. Here's the proof. Look at that stone right there, right? <laughs> Better yet, put it in the blockchain. But the point here is that I think most people actually want something like recognition for their deeds. And yeah, some people do want money, but again, they don't want the actual money. They want what money can buy them. They want to go on a cruise, right? They want to, you know, travel the world. They want to buy a big house, right? <laughs> so what if you can actually supply that without the money? You have to be real about what you want. You say, okay, I invented this cool thing. Now I want to go travel. So people are like, okay, let's let's help this dude travel, right? Let's help this person travel. I want a big house. They're like, okay. You know, let's see, can, do we have the resources to build a house in this, in this environment? If not, okay, maybe you can move somewhere where, they, where you can have a bigger house. But then uh, eventually you'll probably realize that the big house doesn't really mean anything. Like, <laughs> but nonetheless, you know, the point here is to get to what people actually want behind the money. Because money only serves to centralize power. That's, t- that's the ultimate kind of, you know, takeaway. If you want to build, you know, more businesses, be more entrepreneurs, 
we have to actually move beyond the idea of money. Because most entrepreneurs fail here in America. Again, the capitalist city of the world, the capitalist country of the world. What, 70 to 80, maybe even 90, like 9 out of 10 or whatever? I don't know. It's Most people fail at becoming entrepreneurs. It's not because most people are dumb or incapable. or anything. No. We actually know this, that the vast majority of failures are due to timing, which is basically luck. Not Well, not always, because it could be just, you know, like you didn't realize what the actual market was. But nonetheless, still timing. All right? Well, and actually, timing is a big, good example, because a big problem with timing, like if you have a good idea, but you did it too early, what that actually means is that you weren't able to sustain, right, this idea for a long enough time to become to where the world catches up with you, right? Um, for instance, virtual reality, right? People who have been inventing virtual reality since the 90s, or even before, way before then, sort of Damocles and all this other stuff. But if you were able to come up with a good virtual reality system in the 90s, there wasn't enough other technology like manufacturing facilities and all this other stuff to develop um, technology that other people can use easily, right? But if we lived in, this, in a world where you didn't need to worry about, you know, um, your living expenses, then it wouldn't matter. You can just create a prototype and then keep tinkering on that prototype until, you know, somebody else develops, you know, the manufacturing um, abilities. Or you yourself can go into figuring out, okay, how do I build the manufacturing facilities to scale this? Or you can, you know, figure out, okay, what's, what other resources, what other ways of using this technology can I, can I build, you know, so that other people can use this technology, right? There's so many other ways um, you can wait out that time if you live in an environment where you didn't have to worry about your living expenses. But because we live in that time, most innovations, right, that are ahead of their time or that really good or whatever are just just forgotten about because they're not immediately profitable. Immediately as in the next, you know, uh, five to ten years. So this is this is actually a huge, you know, reason why I really believe that capitalism has actually limited innovation more than it has um um, created innovation because a lot of times we come up with things we come up with good ideas but we don't have the resources we don't have the time we don't have the you know space the freedom to actually you know um, make the best of it but yeah a lot of businesses fail because of this timing a lot of it fails because again lack of living expenses very few fail because they had a bad idea just a bad idea Right, very few fail because you know they were, you know, incapable of doing you know whatever. Many of them fail before they even get to that stage. <laughs> and yes, there are a lot of bad ideas. Don't get me wrong. But those people who have bad ideas don't even start. Many of them don't even you know start the process of really starting a, a company. And a lot of uh, companies fail in the first like three years. Again, because they don't have the enough profit, right, to overcome, to supply their living expenses. Even if they do have a great idea, they do have a great execution, all this other stuff, they just might not be making enough profit for their uh, living expenses. Or to pay their team. 
And so we need to figure out, right, how to build an environment where you don't, uh, don't even have much living expenses in the first place. And you're still living a good life. You're still enjoying your life. But now, you, when you look at the world, you say, I want to solve this problem. You're going to be looking at the most important problems. And this is another part to it, too. How do you focus on problems that are really important? Because there are a lot of businesses that get started up for frivolous things. <laughs> right? It could be a good idea, but it's for like a frivolous thing that nobody really cares too much about. In today's world, you can turn a frivolous idea into a really, really big business. <laughs> because you can utilize you know, all sorts of um, manipulative marketing practices to prey on people's you know, um, unsatisfied lives today. Many people live unsatisfied lives today. Say, oh, you're not, you're not living the community that you want to live, right? You're not living who, with you, who you want to live with. You're not the person that you want to be. You know, all this other stuff. And so you can sell these frivolous things as like the solution <laughs> for, you know, these deeper problems. And so this is why you see so many kind of products today that don't really seem to actually be solving anything or, or building a better world. It's because we have so many deep problems that we're using these surface level solutions to, to, to do. And capitalism allows that. Capitalism is like, oh yeah, sure, you can make money, fine, whatever. <laughs> and that's the problem, of course. Because now, not only are you, you know, preying on, on vulnerable people, which is all of us, right? we're all vulnerable in some ways or another. The question is, do you know how you're vulnerable? And, or is that vulnerability something that is currently exploited or can be exploited easily or in some way, shape, or form? But yeah, not only that, but it's also using up resources that could be used towards a more, you know, productive kind of solution or problem. And again, the point here is not to say, is not to build some committee who gets to decide, you know, um, what's a good problem to solve or what's a good use of resources. No. Again, the, the, the biggest problem with any of these, you know, top-down, any of these economic solutions that require a central um, kind of system to determine who gets what resources is that it's top down it builds in hierarchy capitalism is still top down right because again equality, it, it rewards you for centralizing for, the, for having more money for having more capital so what you want to do instead and what we've seen work really well throughout human history is to really build out the mar marketplace of ideas. Today we say, oh, this is a marketplace of ideas, but the truth is that most ideas are either platformed um, and distributed by money, meaning if you have more money, then you can put your idea in front of more people and you can dress up your idea um, in ways that are more palliative, even though it's not really a good idea. But you can fake it, right? You can manipulate, you can exploit all this other stuff because of money. But if we live in a world where nobody really cared about money, where most of your living expenses are had, where most people are enjoying their lives, are living fulfilled lives, then it's going to be way harder to manipulate people. It's going to be way harder to build on, to, to find these vulnerabilities. It's going to be way harder to prey on people. 
And so the ideas that are going to be put in this marketplace, right, on this in front of others, are ideas that people can consider more quote unquote rationally, right? They can consider without all these this baggage of oh I'm not living a good life I'm not satisfied with my life I'm not all this other stuff right this is this is what people also don't understand about capitalism <laughs> is that it, it works so well because many of us are so very vulnerable and not even aware of our vulnerability we can be bought and sold because of these vulnerabilities because we're living lives in which we don't actually have the nutritional value that we need. We don't actually have the emotional um, um, you know, bonds that we need. We don't have the psychological safety. We don't have many of these things. And we all know, like any, any psychologist, any sociologist will tell you that it's way easier to control people, to manipulate people who are vulnerable like this. But if we live in that better society, it's way harder to do that. And then you can actually have this marketplace of ideas. Where if you come up with an idea, you say, I want to build this thing, but I'm going to need these resources, I'm going to need these people, then people can actually decide more, and again, I'm going to have to use this term, more rationally, if they want to help you. If they want to you know, be a part of your team and all this other stuff. Today, you don't really need that. <laughs> You could just say, oh, we're going to build this awesome thing. And don't you want to be, you know, in and in build the world, right? Don't you want to, you know, live a meaningful life? Or are you just going to live this meaningless life? Are you going to, right? You can easily manipulate people. You see this all the time, right? They just throw a huge check at you. We're going to pay you $200,000. You're going to want to work with us. It's essentially, you know, buying people off. It's essentially bribing people to work for a place that they don't actually believe in. And then they're going to justify it. Say, oh, yeah, I actually believe in this mission, right? I actually believe. But no, it's just a check. It's just it's just the vulnerabilities, right? Or they just, it, it could be a big brand, right? That name that name uh, recognition. And people are like, oh, yeah, I'm going to, you know, work at this big place, you know. <laughs> it's because they have those deeper insecurities, these vulnerabilities. Jeez, I'm going for a while, but I'm going to keep going because... I'm on a roll here, I think. So I'm going to end this and end this section and then um, start up a new one. I have time. Okay. So, yeah. This is probably going to be a long episode. <laughs> Already is. This is all my episodes these days. Goodness. Um, but, yeah. Like, what people don't understand is that we don't have a marketplace of ideas today. Or if we, if it is a marketplace, it's, it's one that's so riddled with, with false advertising and you know gross gross exploitation and practices and all this other stuff that it will if it was you know manifested if you saw a real visualization of what the quote unquote marketplace of ideas looks like today most people would be completely grossed out and the people who won't be grossed out are fucking you know psychopaths <laughs> like the worst kinds of psychopaths too not just you know people who who aren't bothered but no people who literally crave this this deprivation <laughs> Right, so we need to build a better environment in order for us to have a a real marketplace of ideas. In order, in order for us to have a real entrepreneurial, you know, environment. 
I think a lot of people think a lot of people seem to assume that the difference between you know some place like America and Europe, right? You hear this all the time where Europe doesn't really have this entrepreneurial mindset where they say if you want to start a business, people look at you funny, right? People say, oh, in America you have this hunger, you have this, you know, it's actually deprivation. <laughs> and here's the tricky part about this, right? Is that I do think you do have to balance, you know. Um, the subjectivity, right? You do have to balance the satisfaction. You have to be careful to realize that, again, happiness is not the same thing as fulfillment, right? I'm not sure. I haven't lived in Europe. I don't know people in Europe that much. So I can't say for sure whether or not people in Europe, you know, feel fulfilled. I haven't looked at the data, right? I'm not sure if there is data about this yet. But I'm not, I don't know if people in Europe are fulfilled, you know? They do seem to live happier lives, but it's not clear whether or not they are living more fulfilled lives. I would like to see the rates of, you know, things like suicide, depression, anxiety, and all that sort of stuff in those places. Because it is true, a lot of people do have more, you know, things like healthcare, um, better um, neighborhoods and environments, of walkability, and all this other stuff, right? So they probably do live some level of fulfillment that's a little bit better than ours, right? They have more paid time off and all this other stuff. Right? That's a good thing, I would say. But here in America, we're so deprived because most of us live lives in which we're only a few paychecks away from homelessness. And most of us only semi-consciously know this. This is what's really weird about America. The data is clear that most people, 70, maybe 80% of people, I don't know, some ridiculous amount of people, Live still live paycheck to paycheck, right? Even the middle class, even the quote unquote middle class, because the living expenses are so high, right? They live in a bigger house, they have cars, they have um, healthcare, you know, all this other stuff that they have to pay for. And so most people actually do recognize that they're not well off. Most people recognize that they're not rich, <laughs> right? They can't just you know, say, oh, I'm not going to work, you know, uh, this year. Most people know they can't do that. And so, of course, you have this hunger for, oh, I want to, you know, build this thing and do this thing. And so now we can live free. I can live the rest of my life without having to worry about money. Most people do have this dream here in America. And to me, that's, that reeks of deprivation. That reeks of this anxiety, this underlying anxiety. And yes, anxiety can push you, right? Just like depression. My personal idea, idea on depression, as a person who's been through depression for a long period of time, is that depression, like the re, like some uh, folks, scientists have been wondering why we even experience like things like depression, anxiety, and all this other stuff when it's not. It doesn't seem to be helpful. Like if anything, you, you like you would die. Like it, it's leading cause of suicide. So why do why is they're an evolutionary, you know, existence of depression. And I think it's because it can be very beneficial. It's because when you're in that state of depression, right, you feel you feel discontent with everything that, that you know, you were satisfied with before. Right? All your likes, all your stuff that you enjoyed before 
become like ash. It's, it's not even, it doesn't do anything for you. And it, that even makes you feel even worse because what you enjoy, you recognize that what you enjoyed before, you no longer can enjoy. And so now you're like, what is anything? Like, what's the point? What, like, you feel so terrible. But here's the trick. If you live in an environment, right, where you have depression, where you have some level of support, where some people are able to see that you're depressed, it becomes something for people to, you know, kind of glom onto. It's similar to like a baby crying, right? Why do babies cry? It's because it'll, it, it's a form of communication, right? And so people can look at them like, oh, something's wrong with that baby. They need help. They need, you know, this, that, and the other. So now this baby has the attention that they need and it can, you know, um, supply whatever they need. Maybe it's, they, they're dirty. Maybe, you know, they need food. Maybe they just need to hug, Right? But I think depression is very similar, but for adults, or not even adults at this point. Um, but the point here is that it allows your community to come around you and say, okay, what do you need? Maybe you need this, maybe you just need more people around you, maybe whatever. And so you can get what you need, and on top of that, it can also allow you to explore things that you didn't think you would want to explore. It allows you to grow beyond your comfort level. If you are able to, you know, get the support you need and, and get beyond that. This is why I think antidepressants are so bad. Yes, I know there is a, some people are really helped by this because there is a, you know, psychological or physiological problem, right? There's a chemical imbalance where it becomes difficult for you to do anything. But I actually think that antidepressants are only effective for people who don't have that communal support and that's a lot of people <laughs> especially here in America once again a lot of us don't live in a community we don't live in a space where you enjoy the company of all the people around you many of us don't live in a space where you know you know the people around you and you trust them and they you know want to see you grow and you want to see them we don't live here we don't live in that world anymore and so things like antidepressants are like a hammer they're like a, they're supposed to like forcefully fix your, you know, mental imbalance so that you can, you know, try to do it yourself. But this is why it's also so ineffective for a lot of people. Right? I know people who took antidepressants and had terrible, terrible experiences. For a lot of people, antidepressants don't work. So I would argue that. Depression is a, you know, kind of a sign. It's like a communication for your community to band around you. Same thing for anxiety and things like that. So, yeah, all that to say, like, here in America, right, we have these mental health problems because we don't live in these communities um, that are supposed to be that support because we have this idea of individual individualism. Right, and many of us think that if we get rich, right, if we build something cool, then we can have that community. And to an extent, we're kind of right, unfortunately. Right, we're only wealthy people, or people who who have a business can have any sort of real community, or somewhat real. Right, you build a business, and now you're surrounded by people who who, who seem to believe in what you believe. 
who seem to care about you and want to you know achieve the same goal and all this other stuff you can you hear all these stories about these cool company outings and the company's things and all this other stuff and people crave that so of course people are going to want to build businesses here in America versus places in Europe where where they may may not need to want that anymore because they already live in a community where they can trust people where they can have all these things around them and so some people might say oh isn't that a good thing then shouldn't we you know want more of this but here once again you have to recognize that just because we have more businesses being built doesn't mean that we have a better world being built and you can see that evident today in America despite all this innovation and all this other stuff that we have a lot of it is not really building a better world many of us recognize this many of us recognize that many of the products and services that we have are terrible are useless are weight are waste any good that we get from it is like you know the exception and to me if you have a system in which the good parts are only the exception are only the you know the byproduct right or an accident then it's not a good system I'd rather build a system in which we can purposely you know and consistently have all these good things that we're actually looking for and maybe that does mean innovation slows down a little bit or a lot of it but I think at this point it's kind of necessary because now we're getting to the point where things are moving so fast we can't adapt right many of us are considering worlds where we're going to live in with with AI with robots who might destroy us <laughs> this is not a good <laughs> this is not a good way of looking at the future even though that doesn't really make sense anymore like for anybody that actually is in the AI you know um industry they would tell you that it's not a that's not a big problem right we're not even close to worrying about ai becoming conscious and wanting to destroy humanity if anything that is a huge huge sign that many people are scared of technology many people are scared of the rate of innovation quote unquote innovation and that's not a good thing if so many people are looking at a world in which we think our technology would destroy us, that's a huge sign that maybe we should slow down and think about what technologies we actually need, you know, how to, you know, have a healthier relationship with this thing that we call technology. And again, I say this all the time as a person who wants to, you know, go into space and do all these amazing things and build hover cars. Like I'm probably <laughs> way more technologically you know optimist than most people but I really think that we need to slow down because most people are not adapting most people are not able to adapt so again it goes back to that goal that we set for ourselves and we say the goal is to build technology build innovation and and you know run as quickly as we can to singularity then what happens when you know that comes with the um, destruction of much of humanity? Like, what's the point? <laughs> so yeah, like going back to the businesses, building better businesses. 
I think many people do want to solve problems. Oh, this is where I got kind of sorry. I, I did get off track because I did want to talk about how do you um, build this world where people want to build businesses, right? And want to build good businesses, like useful things and innovative things. Right? Because there is, I think there is something to be said there for the fact that once you get to a, a, a space where people feel satisfied and all this other stuff, that they may not want to build businesses anymore, right? Like, this is something I am personally trying to figure out for hunter-gather cultures, right? Is there a rate of innovation and change? And that's what I initially thought, right? I thought, okay, maybe, you know, these foraging comp- uh, foragers... Unfortunately, we're not as innovative as they could have been or should have been. But then when you actually look into it, <laughs> you see that a lot of them were very innovative, right? They didn't just do the same thing, you know, year after year. We have to remember that the very idea of agriculture, the very idea of cities, the very idea of, you know, technology, of weaponry, of clothing, of almost everything that we use today came from foraging cultures, came from these hunter-gatherer cultures, right? We have to remember that it was a splitting off, not a, oh, you know, some other people came along and did it. Like, no, most people, like all of humans were foragers for, what, 200,000 years, right? And many of them would invent things. This is how we got all the inventions that we have today. Like fire, tools, weapon, you know, all these things came from foragers who had the time and space to be like, oh, yeah, let's think about, you know, this, that, and the other. They invented these things. Where do you think we got them? I had to remember that myself. What happened, right, was that for instance, the sick agriculture, like we can, it's the easiest one to, to really focus on, right? Many um, foraging cultures actually did use some sort of um, temporary agriculture to solve the problem of, okay, sometimes we don't have everything that we need in terms of our nutrition. Or sometimes uh, we want to, you know, make beer or whatever, right? And so if we move to a, another place, we, want, we still want to have beer. So they would take these, you know, these plants and it would plant them wherever they, they um, moved to at that time. Right. They created this uh, initial idea of agriculture and all this other stuff. And in fact, um, like this is why you hear the term horticulturalists. Right. Is these foraging cultures who were semi, you know, um, nomadic. They would stay for a long period and plant things. And then when they couldn't, when, they, when their soil wasn't able to you know, um, support it anymore, they moved. But the difference is that some of them, right, we have to remember that human history happens through branching. Some of them would stay and say, oh, actually, I'm going to keep doing this. <laughs> Even though this soil is, is, is dying out, I'm just going to expand, <laughs> right? And this is where you see, you know, the difference between these, these different peoples. People who said, oh, no, we need to move when you know, the, the resources are beginning to, to run out so that the land can replenish. And other people are like, no, let, let's expand instead. And so you had that schism there. And what you, what's really interesting is that throughout the um, development of empires, right, of these city-states and, and all this other stuff, these cities, 
you actually have a very, very um, dynamic relationship, right? Where we actually can, there's some interesting theories that posit that many of these cities were like terrible places for a long time. In fact, I mean, that's not even a pod, that's, that's just true, right? Many of these cities were, were terrible. They were the source of many diseases and a lot of the human lifespan, right? When we say, oh, uh, the average life expectancy went down, or like that happened because of cities. Because of these diseases and this, this, this um, dirty environment they lived in, all this other stuff, this happened because of cities. Hunter-gatherer cultures built huge buildings and all this other stuff, like Gobula Tepli and all these other places. They built these places, but then they only lived there for a, a, a period of years. Where they would, you know, have a bunch of people come from all across the, the region. And they would, you know, party there and ritual, have rituals there and, and, and trade there. And then once they saw that the resources wouldn't be able to, you know, support all of them anymore, they disbanded and they went off, went to their ways. But some of those places were like, actually, we're going to keep, keep staying here. And they began expanding. Right? So this is how you get the development of cities. And so, um, because many of these cities were so dirty and terrible, many people actually moved out of the cities and back to hunter-gatherers. And we actually do see this. We see this very heavily, where <laughs> you have people living, live, uh, people who were hunter-gatherers, then start a city, and then leave the city and become hunter-gatherer, hunter-gatherers again. Because they saw the, t- the technological, you know, growth and all this other stuff, and it was like, oh, this is not good. This is this is terrible, all right? This is why books like *Dawn of Civilization* um, by Graeber and Wengrow are so, I think, um, important and so amazing to a lot of people because they didn't recognize this. Granted, unfortunately, they have a lot of other stuff wrong in that book, but they are right on some of these things. And I was looking at other, other, you know. Um, uh, goodness, archaeologists and and things like that 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 have been showing this other data. But, anyways, my point here is that hunter gatherers, foragers, did in fact innovate, did in fact create amazing technological progress. But then they realized when they were going too far. They realized when they were you know more destructive than they were helpful, and they turned back. They said, actually, we, we don't need this. <laughs> right? This is not helpful for us. This is dangerous. This is destructive. And so when we see the hunter-gatherers today, we have to recognize that many of them purposefully turn back. And so we can't sit there and say, oh, they're primitive. They never understood. No, they, they understood. They had a reason for not, you know, building cities and all this other stuff. Because it looks pretty, yeah. It looks amazing. But then you get all these other problems that <laughs> destroy you as a culture, as a people. And so, you have to really think, if these people were so much more conscientious to the point where they can turn back from technology when they saw that their end was near... Who's more primitive? Them or us today who keeps going off the cliff? <laughs> Who's more primitive? 
So I think this is something that we really need to recognize today. Is that yes, sometimes you have to turn back. Sometimes you have to stop. Sometimes you have to slow down. And that's okay too. I think we still haven't figured out a good balance of, you know, living a quote-unquote primitive life, right? And living a quote-unquote technologically developed or economically developed life. We haven't figured that out. We're still in our evolution, right? We're only we're, we're relatively young species. Especially Homo sapiens sapiens. We've only been here a couple hundred thousand years. The dinosaurs have been here a couple hundred million years before they went extinct. <laughs> so uh, we can easily just be a blip on the radar of Earth. And I don't want that. I want us to, to live for millions, hundreds of millions, billions of years. Right? I want us to last until the end of, the, of, of time if we can. And I think for, in order for us to do that, we have to take our time. We have to slow down. We have to really think about what technology we're going to use, how we're going to use it, how we're going to apply it, you know, how we're going to adapt to different things, what are the different threats that can, you know, cause us to go into extinction, how do we adapt, how do we um, mitigate it, all these things. We have to be more conscientious of all these things. And I think that is where we can focus most of our business, you know, entrepreneurial tendencies. Instead of focusing on, oh, let's... Let's make the the, the, uh, the next, you know, iPhone or something like that. Don't get me wrong. It's cool that we have these devices. But how many iterations of the same device do we need <laughs> that aren't really making much progress? And how can we think about, you know, instead of these iPhones, right, the biggest problem is, is now recognizing that we need to be able to communicate more effectively with other people. And unfortunately, iPhone's not really allowing you to do that, especially if people are focusing more on the brand, Right the color of your text messages <laughs> rather than actually communicating with another human being or another animal completely. So what if we, you know, said, okay, you know, our biggest problem is communication, being able to communicate with people across the world or this, that, and the other. So how can we create a, a device or some sort of um, technology that allows you to communicate directly in somebody's brain, right? Allows you to jack in with a tree, Right, <laughs> like we need to really, really leapfrog. So, I think the solution to oh, how do you help people? You know, how do you build a culture where people still want to be innovative, but while they're living, while they're satisfied with their lives. Why they're living, you know, fulfilling lives. And I think the the focus there, or the, the, the solution there, is to recognize that, number one, we won't ever live satisfying lives. We won't ever be satisfied with our lives. There's only the pretense of satisfying, of satisfaction. Right? Or maybe some people might actually do, might actually feel satisfied. I don't think so, but maybe they do. I don't know. But we as a people certainly won't Because there's always going to be people like me <laughs> There's always going to be people like you who are listening to this Right Who's open to these ideas Who's thinking like nah like I want to do something more Doesn't matter how, how Fulfilling my life is All my needs are met That just empowers me to do even more Right 
Like if I had everything I needed, if I had, if I didn't have to worry about bills anymore, about my car, about all these things, you know what I'd be doing? I'd be prototyping goddamn spaceships or something. Like I'd be, <laughs> I'd be figuring out how can we, you know, within my lifetime, have us expand to the next, you know, star system. You know, how can we, you know, become a, a species in which only exists in consciousness or some craziness like this, right? I can't even, I can't even focus on these ideas right now because I'm really worried about the fact that if I don't, you know, you know, have enough in the bank, I won't be able to feed, I won't be able to feed myself or my family, right? I ha- as much as I think about all these ambitious ideas, it's only, you know, for fun for me. Like, it's only just uh, speculative, right? Unfortunately. And yes, I am doing things to work towards those ideas. That is my ultimate goal. But unfortunately, I have to I have to be patient. I have to be, you know, I have to get into this mode of thinking that is going to take decades before I can even, you know, be able to act on many of these ideas. That's another reason why I'm even doing this podcast. Cuz I hope that cuz if I die, right? If I die early <laughs> before I ever get a chance, I want other people to do these things I want people to recognize that Yes there's there's people out there Who are super ambitious And have all these amazing ideas out there Yeah I ain't gonna lie I think a lot of these My ideas are amazing <laughs> Not just because I think so But a lot of people have said so as well And more importantly I got, I've gotten a lot of these ideas From other people who have more amazing I'm just, I'm just you know Continuing the cycle So yeah even if we do live in a, in a society where a lot of people do feel satisfied and comfortable and don't want to move things, I think there's going to be some inevitable part of either that culture or that community or themselves that will not be satisfied. They will want to do something more. And we can only, the only way to maximize this, right, to maximize these amount of people who want to do more, who want to help humanity you know grow more and do more and be more is to live is to build these communities where they can you know even exist right because a lot of people i'm sure there's way more people out there i've found many of them or at least you know read about many of them right who have these ideas but they're rare they're they're an exception in many of these communities where instead people are worrying about how to how to how to eat Right? What food they're gonna eat? What, you know, how they're gonna, you know, protect their family and all this other stuff. Right? You hear all these am, amazing, ambitious things of of like drug dealers who were able to build this amazing empire, or you know, startup founders who were able to build this amazing empire. Imagine if their, you know, in, ingenuity, their will, their discipline, their, you know, skill set, whatever, was focused more on. You know, growing humanity beyond rather than growing their ego. <laughs> All right? People like Elon Musk is not growing humanity beyond. And I was, again, I was used to be a fan of Elon Musk. I used to be like, oh, yeah, he's one of the people I want to be like. But no, unfortunately not. Because guess what? Going to Mars is nothing. It's a terrible step in the direction that we want to go. He's, he claims that he wants to make us a multiplanetary species, right? But that's like saying, oh, um, we need to, you know, um, 
like we need to live in a different environment like, let's say we live in the plains of africa right we live in a savannah we say oh we need to you know uh, expand beyond this this savannah in order for us to prosper so let's move to the desert <laughs> right let's move to the middle of the desert and, and establish it no everybody's gonna die there everybody's gonna die there right a better step is to is to go to like the forest <laughs> right or go to the the steps or go to the place that's the transition between you know these different places right if we actually wanted to become a multi-planetary species rather than just have a dick measuring contest with our rockets right if we actually wanted to do this goal then it would be, be it would be better to focus on how to build you know um fucking uh, O'Neill cylinders, right? How to build civilizations that can ex live in space, or even how to go to the moon, right? Isaac Author makes a great case for that. He says a better case, you know, for building a multi-planetary multi species is to build a base on the moon first, not Mars, because the moon is way closer. There's a lot of resources we can use there, and it's a good stepping-off point to everywhere else. Because from the moon, right, there's so little gravity that you can easily land things there and um, pull things away and, you know, blast things away. Like, if you go to Mars, there's even though it has a little bit less gravity than Earth, it's still a good amount of gravity, right? As the author says this all the time, once you have the ability to leave a gravity well, like Earth, the last thing you want to do is go to another gravity well. <laughs> this is a huge waste. Instead, you go to the moon or live in space. And then from there, you can easily expand and go everywhere else. Or more easily. Going to Mars is a terrible idea. Yes, it's cool to go and figure out what's there. Right? To figure out the history, how it happened, how, how it got to where it is. But if we actually wanted to have this goal... It's better to go to the moon. And don't tell me that, oh, no, Mars doesn't, doesn't it make people excited to build engineering problems? Like, that's Lex Friedman's thing, right? And I really enjoy a lot of Lex Friedman's podcasts and all this other stuff. You know, I critique him a lot. <laughs> it's because I see so much potential, right? He's where I kind of want to be. Like, I want to be able to interview people and get have these crazy conversations and all this. I would love to do that. Hey, yeah, I'm a little jealous. But I'm also going to, you know, I also enjoy what he's doing. I'm going to critique it because I think it could be done better. Right? So no, Lex, and people like you, going to Mars does not excite people. And you can tell this because most people, if you ask, they're like, no. They're like, who the fuck cares about going to Mars? I'm trying to pay my bills. <laughs> right? Who's going to want to live on Mars? Especially when you tell them it's a one-way trip. Because <laughs> it takes goddamn nine months, if that, to get there. It's a long-ass time. You might die just getting there. Nobody wants to live. That doesn't excite people. The very few people who it excites are also either egocentric or they're not as smart as you think they are. <laughs> and that's what's really, really painful about this. Right? All the people, all those, those smart astrophysicists and scientists and engineers who want to solve big problems, they recognize that Mars is not a good idea. So they're not going to work on a project to go to Mars. They're going to go work on NASA or whatever to build you know, a base in space or on the moon. 
These are way better goals. And furthermore, that will excite people because if you show people, oh, wow, this is a really cool place in space where you can live and you don't need money to live. This is not just for rich people. That's going to excite people. <laughs> right. If you say I'm going to build a hotel or a, you know, a community, a co-op in space and you can live there for free. It doesn't cost you anything to get there. It's just, you just have to want to go there. I guarantee you that will excite way more people than all these rich people saying, oh, I'm going to build a million dollar hotel where it's $100,000 a flight. You know, <laughs> you know, like no, these people are so it just frustrates me how so off base they are. This is what happens when you are, are, are so removed from the problems of everyday people. This is another reason why money is so poisonous, right? Because when you have so much wealth, so much extravagance, you can surround yourself with all this, this pretense of, of, you know, what you think life is. You can surround yourself with all these reflections of your ego and which separates you from everywhere, everybody else. And so when it comes to actually solving problems, even though you have the means, you have the resources to solve the big problems, you will be unable, incapable of doing so because you can't even think about what the big problems are anymore. You don't even know them anymore. Maybe one day, you know, I do think Elon Musk at one time had a good idea, had some good ideas. But unfortunately, he's now so far removed <laughs> That he just is a is a is a ego egomaniac you know me master, <laughs> right? The only people he inspires these days are people who are either naive or fundamentally egocentric, right? Who who want to be him, <laughs> even though they don't and and don't recognize right any of the problems. Don't want to recognize it because they just want to be you know this rich funny dude who can say off color th- off color jokes. Right, <laughs> he's not actually inspiring people to be better people, and that goes for pretty much every billionaire. It's the fundamental problem with wealth, with money. So yeah, I do think we can build businesses without money, and I think we can build communities where people want to build ambitious businesses. Who want to innovate. Who want to do amazing, crazy things and inspire other people. But today's world does not enable that. Does not empower that thinking. It enables the only people who can do ambitious things are egocentric people who want to play the rat race of capitalism and capitalize and exploit and all this other stuff. If you don't have the stomach for that game, you're not going to be able to win. You're not going to be able to, you know even have the space or the or the the power or you know anybody for the attention right to build a better world capitalism self selects for ego for narcissism for psychopathy that 1% of the population that's psychopathic so so much of them so much more of them are in these places of power because it self selects for that because you need that in order for you to gain that much power. If you have good ideas and all this other stuff, it doesn't matter. 
unless you're also egocentric, <laughs> unless you're also cutthroat, unless you're also willing and able to exploit and to do terrible things and to justify, you know, your terrible actions under some veneer of morality, some veneer of quote-unquote intelligence and rationality. True rationality means being able to well first of all in order for you to be truly rational you have to be self-aware <laughs> you have to be aware of your vulnerabilities and you have to be able to reduce your insecurities it's like having a having a castle with a bunch of holes in the walls and some shaky foundation right and then saying oh yeah i'm secure <laughs> Right? You're going to have all these um, areas of, of ingress. All these areas where people can get at you. But because you don't recognize that you're so insecure. You're not going to recognize all the invaders. You're not going to recognize all the people coming in and, and poisoning your food. <laughs> so you can't actually be rational. You're going to claim you're rational. You're going to think you're rational. But it doesn't mean you actually are. It's just so frustrating. But yeah. I'm going to close this out. Kind of recapping everything. I think in order for us to live a better world, right, to build these businesses, I didn't even mention this the entire time, but basically what I'm, a lot of what I'm saying here is basically co-ops. Right? cooperative community where people the people who are building these businesses are the ones that are living in that community right essentially just a community meeting their own needs where the profit is not you know being centralized or anything like that it's going right back into the community so these co-ops are a good example of these of this entire idea of what I'm saying in real life today unfortunately it's under the system of capitalism so a lot of it is not really building a better world it's just kind of you know in a loop where it's a little bit better than other places but not so much not enough right it's not foundational enough for people to use it as an example as an alternative to capitalism because you can have a co-op but if you don't have have it in your you know local community, like there's credit unions, for instance, where we say, oh, if you live in this area, then yeah, you can use this credit union. That's not again, just a geographic area is not a community. Just because people live in a certain area in the same region, doesn't mean they're in a community. If you don't know those people, if you don't talk to those people every day or most days. If you don't know their likes and dislikes, if you're not helping them grow every single day or, you know, on a regular basis, they're not helping you grow. It's not a community. It's just a group of people who are close to each who are living close to each other. And that's the problem with a lot of co-ops today. Right. I might be wrong. Maybe I'll look more into it because I'm going to be honest, I haven't looked super into it. 
I do think co-ops is definitely a good direction to go. But once again, I think we have to seriously... I, think that's, that's, I keep saying it because that, that's so important. It's building a real community. It's foundational to what it means to be human. And it's so sad that we're missing it so much today. And I also harbor on it because it's something I'm missing. Right? Something I'm trying to build myself. I'm seeing how hard it is to just to build it. It shouldn't be so hard to build a community. This is Wow, that's a big ass mushroom. Sorry. <laughs> like six inches across. Um but yeah, like we have to do better. We have to do so much better. Um Yeah, to recap, we have to set that goal, figure out how to get there, um, figure out bad habits, mitigate those, figure out good habits, go towards that. Um, We have to set up an accountability system. Accountability is essentially what allows us to measure our way towards success, but being accountable for it means that we're not just, you know, having a, we don't want to set a measure, a measurement that becomes the goal. So instead we um, have, we compartment, compartmentalize, right, that accountability and that measurement. So there are different people measuring different things. And so we use those measurements as like, we kind of pull those out just to see where we, how far we've gone and then we put it back. All right, we don't want to keep looking at that. That's very important because I think that's a key reason as to how Goodhart's good law, you know, becomes so <laughs> prevalent because we're constantly looking at this measurement and using that as our goal. Measurements are useful, but only if you, you know, use them sparingly. Like if anything, we might only want to use measurement when we feel like something is going bad. Or, or, or when we're not sure if we're moving in the right direction anymore. Like if we notice that we're kind of veering off course, that we're not, you know, we don't seem to have any progress towards the direction that we want to go, then you pull out that measurement and say, oh, I see, we're veering off course here. Right? It's, it, it's, it's a good um, correction system or a good signal that we need to correct, that we need to course correct, as opposed to something that we're constantly depending upon um, so once you have all your goals and all the other stuff you're being consistent towards working towards it we need to recognize that we need to build a better community build a material environment in which people can live without having to worry about money in which you can become self-sufficient so you utilize the resources in your area to build an economic, or goodness, a uh, a food system, right? Use whatever you can at hand. Maybe it is agriculture. Maybe it's horticulture. Maybe it's you know donations, whatever. Use what you have at hand to support the people 
who are living there and try to continue you know building that up until it's self-sufficient right in that process you're probably going to invent or innovate some new stuff right probably going to know learn how to use aquaponics and urban farm vertical farming all this other stuff and that allows you to have even more to work with to show people that oh wow you're doing something different you're doing something pretty cool and which will allow you to you know attract more people Oh, here's what I forgot to mention. I think at one point we're going to have to recognize that we can't keep growing. We can't depend on expansion. We have to depend on fractionalization. fractalization, Where once we get to a national fracturing point, right? that fracturing point is where you no longer know the people in your community. Where you no longer know everybody that's there. Right? Once you get to that point, then you have to realize, okay... We're doing some we're we're doing something good, but you can't keep doing this because it's gonna be unsustainable. That's what people also, you know, kind of forget is that we we can't just keep growing. Scaling is not a good thing, right? The only thing that scales indefinitely is cancer, right? And that kills you. <laughs> right? So you have to get to a point where you have to, a natural homeostasis, a natural balancing point. Right before the tipping point. You say, okay, you know, let's separate this out. Let's take all the learnings that we have and build a new community. Build a, you know, copy the, copy what we've done, but adjust it to this new place, right? Because if it's physically far from where you did the first one, it's probably gonna utilize. It's probably gonna need a different, you know, allocation of resources or a different resources that you're that you're building. But it's probably gonna um, work faster than the first time because now you have. You solved many of those problems that you, you know, were, were struggling with the first time. Sure, you have new problems, but you also have more ability, right, to fix things and to do things. This is why humans expanded, um, or I should say traveled, right, across the globe. You can even say colonized across the world um, so successfully because they naturally fractal, fractalized, right? They got to some fracturing point with the community. And then they took those learnings and applied them and went to somewhere else and applied them there. Right? And kept doing that until boom, now humans are all over the world. So this is this is a successful way of growing your community. Once you do that, or as you're doing that, right? You can continuously set new goals. Okay? So once you get to a point where you say, oh wow, we're we're living this life. Well, first of all, that goal can be one of consistency. Instead of saying, okay, we're going to reach this, this, this uh, finish line, uh, make it a horizon, right? Where it's not an actual space where you can just be. It becomes a space where you can constantly move, move closer to. And that's another thing. I should have mentioned that earlier, right? That's another thing we see with, with successful goal setting is that you don't set finite goals, Right? You don't want to have a finite goal. That's a big thing that we see with a lot of you know, the greatest achievers as well. Right? They set this amazing goal that's so far. And then when they actually get there, they're like, oh, what now? That's why what makes people even better is to set goals that are not just far, but are unachievable. <laughs> right? So when you set the smart goals, the, the, the achievable part is the steps that you're taking. Not the actual goal itself. 
So it's unachievable because it's a horizon. It's a direction that you're constantly going towards. Right? You constantly want to live in a, in, a, in a world where people feel fulfilled. That might mean, you know, more people need to feel fulfilled. Right? The kids, you know, the older people, um, the people who are usually forgotten about, like, you know, people who have mental health problems or who have drug addiction problems, right? Um, all these other things. You want to address all these marginalized peoples so everybody can feel fulfilled. And that fulfillment itself is a good horizon because fulfillment it means a different thing in every generation, <laughs> right? And one generation, it might be just, you know, being able to, you know, um, build the type of home you want to want or you want to live in, blah, blah, blah. The next generation might be going to space. <laughs> the next generation might be going to another uh, uh, galaxy, right? Whatever. I mean, granted, it's going to be it's probably not going to be the next generation. It's going to be millions of years, but <laughs> get my point, I hope. So, yeah, you build this community, you fractionalize it, don't expand um, travel, right? fractalize allow people to break off and that's another reason why when you're innovating when you're building these businesses these entre being entrepreneurs or whatever you're focusing more on this ultimate goal so that people are more open to sharing these ideas that's another thing that makes innovation so possible right one of the biggest things that made innovation possible and so fast today is not fucking IP it's the internet <laughs> It's the ability to share ideas more quickly. Before, if you had a good idea, you're stuck in that one place. Like, only you can work on it. If nobody immediately around you wants to work on it, then, oh well, it's just you. But with the industrial, um, industrial revolution, now you were able to travel. And you were able to talk on the phone. So if you had an idea, you can go find somebody... Who wants to work on it? You can go write up some newspaper. You can go call people. So that idea can spread faster. And more people can work, decide they want to work on it. And now with the internet, it's supercharged, right? You can just put it out an idea, find people. You know, it's crazy. So, you know, privatizing idea actually limits that, right? Putting IP and patents and NDAs means that less people... Like, you can find less people. The only reason why it's offset is because our population boomed as well. So now there's more people total. <laughs> so even if the idea is spreading a little bit slower, there's more people who you can depend upon in any area. And so it's kind of, you know, offset there. But, of course, this population boom is not sustainable, right? We're not going to be able to keep growing, you know, the population exponentially at this at this rate of um of resource use right and so you can't keep depending on there being enough people to have a slower rate of transmission for your ideas so we have to go back to opening up these ideas allowing more people to find them which will allow more innovation And more innovation in the right way. Another another problem with these um, IP and stuff like that is there's less people that are able to fact check, less people that are able to verify, less people that are able to say, oh, actually, you know, 
I actually did that before and this is what happened, right? You can't learn from other people's mistakes because you don't even know what other people are doing. Right? You don't know how people failed before. You don't know, you know, um, the the limitations people came up with before. You don't know. So you're going to come across the same problems. There's so many downsides to privatizing ideas. And the only upside is monopolization of power. <laughs> it's, not, it's not an actual upside. <laughs> so yeah, we have to open up these ideas some more. And we have to be real about how people want to be rewarded. Again, most people don't really... I would say nobody really cares about the money. They care about what the money is supposed to get them. And so you ask people, okay, how do you want to be rewarded for this idea? Maybe some people don't want to be rewarded. Maybe some people just want to see the idea out there. Right? But maybe some people want recognition. And so you figure out ways to, you know... um, Include their name with this innovation at all times. Maybe name it after them, or you know, chisel it on stone, or put it in a blockchain, or any of these things, right? To make sure that they're recognized for what they did. And then that will be far more beneficial than just money. Because again, if you just have a bunch of money, but you actually wanted recognition, now you're going to be like, oh, the money's unfulfilling, right? You can have all this money and nothing. To, you still couldn't feel unfulfilled. And so you're still going to be trying to build things. But now you're going to be focused more on branding. Because you, what you learned last time is that you didn't get what you want because you innovated. You got what you want by branding, by marketing. And so now you're going to be focused more on this, you know, this <laughs> marketing stuff. Right? Rather than actually building something that is actually, you know, beneficial. <laughs> I'm not going to name names on that one, but you can imagine who I might be talking about. Either way, we need to be real about this stuff, how people want to be rewarded, and actually recognize that, actually do that. We need to build environments and communities where people who are like me, quite frankly, who want to, you know, who are never satisfied, who want to, you know, strive for more who want to be more ambitious can feel empowered to do so can feel like they actually can do that and these people will probably inspire even more people to do that we say we care about the marketplace our ideas so let's actually build a community build an internet build whatever in which more ideas can be out there at any one time and you can see more of these ideas. You can, you know, assess more of these ideas. You can actually see, you know, what's good, what's bad, why it's good, why it's bad, all this other stuff. We can't do that today. Not even close. Today is more about, like, how can you, again, market your ideas? How can you distribute them if you have the money to do so and all this other stuff? So the ideas that rise to the top are not the best ideas, but the ones that are most... Um, marketable that seem like they're good but really again because so many people are so vulnerable so insecure a lot of these ideas are just preying upon people's vulnerabilities right are things that people want right things that people are trying to fill in their life even though this thing cannot fill that thing the only thing that could fill that is actually living in a better community. 
But people think, oh, if I have this product, if I have this service, if I have this brand, that's going to allow me to live that life. And so they're going to crop, um, you know, flock towards that idea, even though it's not really a good idea. It may not, it may not, you know, bring humanity forward. It may not help us learn more. It may not help us do more. But it feels good. <laughs> and so people are going to flock to it. And it may take decades for you know people to recognize that this is not actually you know helping us. People might not ever recognize that this thing is not actually filling that hole. They're just going to keep trying to find more things to fill that hole. Another thing that people don't recognize about capitalism is say, oh, you know, uh, the marketplace will, will, will decide. It's going to be a correction. <laughs> but no, what gets corrected is things that are not as good as exploiting these resources, these, these vulnerabilities. And so what gets corrected, what gets replaced, what replaces that bad idea, what you had before, is actually something that's more, that's better at exploiting people's weaknesses and vulnerabilities in a more nuanced way, in a more, <laughs> in a more subtle way. Like social media. <laughs> right? People claim, oh, everybody's going to be tired of Facebook and Instagram and all this other stuff. It's terrible. People are going to recognize that. And now we have TikTok. Like, it's it's even worse. <laughs> but it's way better at, you know, flicking that dopamine switch. So people flock to it. So we have to build a world where that dopamine switch is harder to flip from the outside. Right? We have to build a world where people can recognize when that dopamine switch is being flipped. We have to recognize, we have to build a world in which people are actually more secure. And the only time they share these vulnerabilities, or the only time these vulnerabilities are being shared or being, you know, used or whatever, is when they voluntarily decide to share that vulnerability with somebody that they care about in order for them to, you know, establish a relationship or deepen a relationship. But yeah. Hope that's a good recap. Hope this is a good episode. Freaking two hours long. <laughs> As always, thank you for listening. Let me know what you're thinking about all this stuff. If you had a chance to uh, think about it, to listen through the whole thing. Um, and yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I ended there. As always, thanks. And have a great day. Keep being awesome. Don't be afraid to be radical. Don't be afraid to be revolutionary. Um, let's let's make a better world. See ya. Bye bye.